When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, the Australian Open has come to an end for 2023 and it's uh, the champions uh, who have been crowned and Novak Djokovic, of course, uh, after uh, straight sets win over Stefanos Tsitsipas, uh, 6-3, 7-6, And in the women's final the night before, it was uh, Irina Sabalenka you know, coming back from a set down to beat uh, Elena Rabakina. Um, plus in the men's doubles, Kubler and Hitchikata set the stadium alight for the Aussies' point of view. We've heard the highlights of that throughout the morning, but now it's uh, time to get a little bit more in-depth with it. Uh, with Lou Fleming now Lou, of course, uh, a former uh, women's tennis pro herself uh, out of Australia. Uh, extensive career for, for Lou. Also now uh, commentating is for SEN, which has been fantastic to listen to over the course of uh, the last fortnight. Uh, Lou, good morning to you. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, good morning. Thanks, Ian. No, super excited. What an Australian Open we've just had. Unbelievable. Shall we go ladies first? Because chronologically that happened first, and that was, of course, um, Saturday night your time. Uh, Sabalenka is set down, of course, um, and uh, Rybakina taking out the first uh, 6-4. And this was a a battle of, uh, well, I I guess a a person in Sabalenka (laughs) seeded fifth, uh, against uh, a 22nd seed, but boy, the seeds were, there was carnage on the women's side of it very early on in the piece. Oh, it was unbelievable. They were falling like dominoes, weren't they? It was, um, I think the big one that surprised everyone was Iga Sviantek. I mean, going out early, Anjabur going out, and then it, it just, then it was a domino effect. We saw Caroline uh, Garcia go out, and then Jessica Bagula, that everyone was talking about, was going to be the, the red hot informed player who had beaten Eager just a week before. But it was Sabalenka and Robikina, the the two that really stood up, and really the two biggest hitters on the women's tour. And I just wonder, is that a bit of a signal for what is going to happen uh, over the next couple of years? Uh, are the players getting bigger? Are they just starting to, you know, get that power game? I mean, some of the shots coming from Sabalenka and uh, Rubikina were were huge. 140Ks, 145Ks, I think, sometimes coming off that forehand from Sabalenka. That's equal to the men. Um, no, it was phenomenal. And I think everyone was a little bit worried in that first set because Sabalenka's had you know, almost... Uh, the yips in 2022 with that serve. She threw five double faults in, lost the first set, but from there became mentally tough. And, we, yeah, I think she then bowled down about 17 aces, 71 winners. It was phenomenal. So it was a great win for her because that's something, obviously, new territory, had never been to a final. Um, so phenomenal tennis. And I think she really represents the WTA really well. I think we've been lacking a little bit of character at the very top end of the game since Ash Barty has gone. So, um, yeah, she's um, she's got a big personality, and I think it's exciting for women's tennis. 
Lee, you make an excellent point there because I, I well remember uh, when people were watching Serena Williams uh, at her peak, it was all about power. Uh, it was all about strength and power and the pace, etc., that she brought to the game, which was so dominant. But now, uh, you're right, uh, and I'm not saying this in a disrespectful way, but the build of the average women's tennis player is suit more suited to that. And they seem, you just look at their physiques and you think, you know, you must be spending as much time in the gym as you are on the practice court almost. Oh, there's no question about it. They're probably spending three hours a day on their physical, um, their movement. I mean, these girls, these ladies, uh, they move around the court like uh, unbelievable um, athletes because, you know, with tennis, it's not just running. It's movement in all different areas. And then it's strength overhead, end range, um, and then there's obviously the tactical and, you know, all the hand-eye coordination. There's so many elements to, to the game of tennis. It's, you know, if you're on the court four hours a day, you're in the gym three hours, probably an hour of that is hand-eye coordination, movement, core stability stuff. It, it, you know, being an individual sport and being such a physical sport, the physical demands, they're becoming bigger, stronger. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, are we going to see a lot more or any of Ash Barty's. I mean, she was 5'5", five, five, and she had a completely different game, though. And I just wonder, mm. you know, we for a moment there, I think coaches were thinking, OK, we've got to bring back that slice. We've got to bring back a whole lot of variation in the game. We can be tricky. We can use our serve. We can use angles. But we didn't see that in the finals, and we didn't see a lot of that during the Australian Open this year. Um, the only one that kind of aligns themselves a little bit with that is kind of a... And on Jabir, she can slice, mm. she's got more variation, she's not a tall player. But the rest of them, uh, it's very much going to a power game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I totally concur with you there. Um, right, so can we hop across to the men's side of things? And obviously missing uh, last year because uh, he was banned from not only being at the tournament, but banned from being really on Australian soil, Novak Djokovic. Uh, he came back, um, you know, we didn't expect that he wouldn't. That's his 10th title. I repeat that, his 10th Grand Slam Australian Open title. That is unthinkable in the modern era of tennis. Yeah, it is. I think there's only been uh, two other players that have that have captured the number 10, and uh, that is Rafa, obviously, uh, on, the, uh, on the clay at the French Open. He's got 13, so he'd been looking... To go one more, we don't know if his hip is, is going to be able to um, allow him to play. But obviously, um, and then I think it's Margaret Court has won 11 Australian Open. So it's a small group that have won more than 10 at one particular tournament. He really does own the Australian Open now, Novak Djokovic. Um, and he's at number 22, obviously, next to Rafa. So... I think he's got his eyes uh, pretty much on increasing that number. He's 35 years of age. I think he could go for another, I don't know, three, four, five years. I think he could track down number 30, the way he's playing. Um, he's got a couple of guys, though, that are, that are kind of, you know, at that level. I think the, the main contender, his main guy that's going to be, you know, kind of fighting against him is Carlos. Alcaraz, I think he's the one, you know, just winning the US Open. Unfortunately, he couldn't play here. I think that's going to be his biggest challenge moving forwards. But Novak was just phenomenal. There was something burning inside his stomach, I think, for the whole two weeks of the Australian Open. He had a, a fair amount of desire just to show, um, you know, that that he was really disappointed and it took a lot out of him, I think, 2022. What happened in Australia last year, 
really shouldn't happen to any athlete. That's a, a really awful situation. And I think there's a, yeah, there's a few kind of situations there or people there that possibly could have um, diverted that. And, and maybe he didn't have to come out if he knew the, the rules and he wasn't going to fit in there. But yeah, fair, fair amount of hurt, I think, helped him get over the line at this Australian mm-hmm. Open. Look, uh, he's won two French Opens, um, but on this kind of surface and this kind of form, uh, it's been a long, long time since anyone has held them all at the same time. He was the last guy to do it with uh, Rod Laver, but is it is it an outside chance with that kind of mindset of his fit? Uh, he could get all four this year? Well, yeah. I mean, the way he's playing, if he plays like that... Um, I think he he almost plays with the guys. It's like he just has this, I'm just going to play. I'm just kind of moving the ball around and, you know, I'm like a brick wall. And then all of a sudden he sniffs out a little bit of an opportunity and he just raises his level. Any time there's a pressure point, he, he can just accelerate and play a more aggressive point. There's not many guys that can that can do that, that go in and out of that, um, that mindset and then that mentality. It's almost like he's in conservation mode and then he's just wearing down his opponent. And then when he sniffs an opportunity, he just blasts the ball and, and that just wears down their confidence. It's like, hang on a minute, if he's got this in the bag, how, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to last? But how am I going to do something that, that can hurt the guy? He moves like a, you know, it's like a ball with a piece of string. He just he's like like a piece of elastic out there on the court. He can just get to any ball, and when he's out there, then he can just do something incredibly good to to de- defensively turn defence into attack. He just does that better than anyone in the game. Well, the way he dispatched them uh, in the second week of the tournament was quite phenomenal. Uh, I think everyone thought that uh, Stefano Tsitsipas would be his biggest hurdle, uh, being higher ranked for the tournament. Uh, that, um, I guess, proved to be the case, but even he had no answer. What does that suggest to you, then, about the, the pursuers of Djokovic and their, and their mindset? No, I think they're all, you know, there's a massive amount of respect. There's no question about it. I, I'm not sure that, you know the the leg injury or the hamstring injury was was as debilitating as maybe his team were were saying but i think it's hard um you know if you've pulled a, a hamstring or you've you know had a tear i think it's very hard to play seven matches at that level after the match against alex demonar which he was pretty much faultless um i think he said at that stage there's no pain and then last night, uh, I think in the second set, he, he took the, the wrapping off and, and just showed respect to Sitsipas that he was um, yeah, 100% fit. Look, uh, who, can, who can challenge him? I think Alex, um, I think, you know, Alcaraz is, is one. I think you've got Kasper Ruud, who got to two finals last year. I think he's another. Uh, Zverev, if he didn't get injured at the um, French Open last year, I think he's another one that's capable. He's going to take probably six months to get back to his level after that horrible ankle injury that he received in Paris. Um, Look, I think there's a few guys, but it's that sustainability um, over time. He just seems to have this, this mindset of I don't mind pain and I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to stay here all day uh, to beat the guys. It's it's the mentality that I find 
just incredible just to watch him. He's he's from another planet, really. The way he can lift, the way he can sustain pain. I think that's that's it. it it's almost like he enjoys the pain. He enjoys and he thrives off having a little bit of resistance from the crowd. I think those sort of things drive him. Um, so, yeah, he doesn't, doesn't want to get liked too much. He doesn't want to get too much love like, you know, Roger and Rafa. They, they just adore, the, the fans adore him, where, you know, adore those two guys wherever they go. Whereas Novak, it's still 50-50. I still think he struggles to really get the buy-in of absolutely everyone. It was interesting last year um, to see how Kyrgios and uh, Kokonakis uh, lit the fuse under the men's doubles event and how Australia got in behind that. Of course, uh, Kyrgios out uh, before even a ball was hit, so that was the soul-destroying for both of them. Uh, and all of a sudden, along came uh, two blokes by the name of Jason Kubler and Rinki Hitchikata uh, with Australia's flags flying high and winning a title. This was a terrific story. Oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, really one of the, the best stories of the Australian Open for me. I mean, these guys were the wild cards. They barely were even thinking about playing doubles. I think Rinky had asked Jason some months ago, and Jason was like, oh, mate, I'm really, you know, not sure. He didn't want to spend too much time on the court. We know he's had about eight operations on knees and, you know, all, every sort of body part in his body. He's 29 and he's stuck together with pieces of metal. Um, he's 29 and Rinky's 21, I think. What a phenomenal effort. They beat three seeds coming through the Australian Open. And the biggest one was in the quarterfinal against Kulhoff and Skupsi. They beat them in one hour and six minutes. Six, three, six, one. These guys are phenomenal doubles players. And then in the semifinals, they beat Grinolias and Sibelius, who got to the semifinals just last year. So played unbelievable tennis. And... I don't know if you saw that match point. Did you see the match point uh, the other night with Rinky and Jason? It was absolutely hilarious. It was fantastic. Jason Kubler got two of the reflex volleys back, the best two I've ever seen, to win um, a tournament on match point. It was phenomenal. Rinky had fallen over in the point. He couldn't get up to finish the point. And then Nyes and, and Zelinski missed a, a pretty standard forehand out wide. So... No, incredible. It was fantastic. I loved every minute of it. Um, yeah, it was, it was great to finish, I think, um, on such a high for those young boys. And, of course, uh, just in your overall uh, perception of uh, the fortnight, a big tick in the column for the organisers, etc., and the fans? No, I think so. I mean, I think they had huge numbers. I mean, the Melbourneites just were pouring down. Even after work, they were coming down. It, it's a... It's more than a tennis event. It is a festival. It's phenomenal. The atmosphere when you're walking around, you, it's pretty amazing to be there. I tell you, if you, you know, all your listeners, if you have a chance to get over to Melbourne at that time, it really is worth coming, um, even just to get a, a grounds pass and to walk around. You watch phenomenal matches in that first week. I think it's $59 or something like that. There's, it's just a, a wonderful event, even when the top players... I mean, I think this is the first time in the Open era that the number one and two seeds in both women and men were not able to get through to the quarterfinal. It didn't matter because the depth was phenomenal and we saw great matches all the way through, got some new names. I mean, there's, there's been some great stories. J.J. Wolf, the American... Um, and, uh, yeah, there was just, I mean, just some wonderful stories the whole way through. So Lynette uh, 
I mean, Magdalenette, the Polish player that had never been through past the, the third or the fourth round of the Grand Slam, for her to get through to the semi-finals, I mean, that's incredible tennis for, for the Polish uh, federation there. Yeah, there were some great stories, all right. Uh, Grand Slams tend to do that, but I think one of the best and uh, two uh, fully deserved winners uh, in terms of the singles. Uh, Lou, absolutely fantastic catching up with you, and thanks for your uh, analysis over a very, very successful uh, fortnight. We've enjoyed it. Thank you. No worries. Thanks, Ian. Have a great day, mate.